When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Football Social Daily. Today on Football Social Daily, we'll be talking about the Reds, the Blues and the Red, White and Blue. This is your award-winning Premier League podcast. Hit subscribe now and don't miss a show. Marcus Rashford battled through the Blues of a couple of seasons ago and is now red hot and staying at Manchester United until at least 2028 after penning a bumper new deal. But he wasn't the only academy graduate to sign a contract at Carrington because after eight years away, Johnny Evans is red again. He too was feeling blue whilst wearing blue as Leicester were relegated last season, but now he's back at Old Trafford. Another former Fox became a blue last summer, but it hasn't been straightforward for Wesley Fofana as the Chelsea defender is yet again set for a spell on the sidelines. Whilst the London club's £70 million offer for Moises Caicedo was a red flag for Brighton, who have rejected the approach for the Ecuadorian. And the United States of America has a new star as the MLS earns its stripes with the arrival of perhaps football's biggest icon, Lionel Messi. Thanks for joining us on today's show. My name's Niall. This is Football Social Daily. And with me this morning, Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Hello, lads. Good morning. Did you like my blue and red themed introduction? Uh, there was a distinct <laughs> lack of black and white, but um, yeah, well, I suppose we'll allow it as we do so many podcasts. Give it two weeks and then the black and white chat will come back out again when Newcastle's season kicks off. We're not, uh, we're not talking about our 2-1 win over Rangers last night, but you know, we'll... Sold out, wasn't it, Ibrox? I saw, was it a testimonial? I think so, yeah, but I couldn't. I could not tell you who it was for. Might have been uh, McGregor the goalie. I'm not sure. Um, I think it was. Uh, but yeah, eight thousand Geordies went up there, which is tells us tells you what to do, uh, what there is to do in Newcastle on a Tuesday night in uh, in July. <laughs> but uh, yeah, eight thousand up there, one two one. Sandro Tonali made his debut, and happy days. Yeah, and it looks like actually to knock the Newcastle news on the head before we even get started today, that Alan Samaxman, as we discussed last week, probably is going to leave Newcastle. Um, doesn't look like he's going to be involved in many of the preseason games, if any. So certainly one to keep an eye on. But let's start on, not transfer news as such, but from a Manchester United perspective, important news when it comes to a new contract is Marcus Rashford, who was the star of Eric Ten Hag's debut season as United manager, last term he's penned a new deal a contract extension which keeps him at Old Trafford until 2028 his previous deal was actually set to expire next summer but after an excellent Premier League season last term under Eric Ten Hag after what's let's face it was a shaky 18 months before that where it looked like he could well leave the club how impressive Joel has his turnaround been 
Yeah, I think it's been massive. I don't think it can be understated just how big it is because if everyone remembers that 2021-22 season, which was Manchester United's worst Premier League season in its history, Rashford got four goals and I thought after that season he had one more chance because he was honestly just so far out of the loop of playing, just so poor compared to what his previous standards had set himself. And I know it was a really bad season for the majority of players that season, but for someone who just fell off so badly, especially um, after his Euros penalty shootout, which I think might have affected him as well, pretty much. I mean, I don't know if you boys have talked about our tournament at the weekend, but I'm still I'm still bitter over that, let alone a European final. So I don't know how he managed to come back from that. Um, but then he goes into the the following season under Ten Hag, who I'm sure has given him you know a bit of fire in his belly, and to get 30 goals the next season, it just shows you can't underestimate the class that he's got. It just seemed to be, I think it was probably more so a mental thing uh, the previous season before last. So I know there's a lot of people who are almost questioning whether he should be getting the money that he's getting, but the question that I would raise and counter that is if he's getting 78 million over five seasons name me a player you can get with that kind of output for 78 million right now because at the moment we're getting linked with for example Rasmus Hoyland for a little bit underneath that and he's got nine goals in his senior career um, in Syria so you have to look at it from that perspective which is he's a, he's a massive player in England he's a massive player in society in terms of what he's doing and he's a local guy as well it's just a no-brainer to be honest so I think it's really good for him When you look at the season he had last year Joel's mentioned that the season before last he certainly wasn't at his best and there were questions over his future but 30 goals in 56 matches last season it is an excellent record it's better than one in two for someone who plays out on the the left wing is a really good return. The new deal makes him one of Manchester United's highest earners. I think he's on upwards of £300,000 a week now. I guess you could say from the numbers that he put on the board last season, Marley, and what he means to the club, like what Joel's just said, he's probably earned this new deal, hasn't he? Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I think um, one thing I would say is if if somebody in that Man United squad is getting paid £300,000 a week, who, who would it be? Like, who would you choose Choose it to be? You wouldn't choose it to be the hair. You'd choose it to be your top scorer and your, your guy who's 25, 26 years old or whatever he is and, you know, scoring all the goals and carrying the team at times. You know, his his goals carried Man United through that sort of February, January, February, March, April sort of period where he was just on fire every week scoring. Did he score in like eight consecutive games or something like that? And, you know, he was he was flying and, and he was the reason why Man United kicked on in that important period and practically secured top four by, you know, three or four weeks out from the end of the season. So he's um he's 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 Man United basically. He's I couldn't imagine him anywhere else. There was talk a couple of seasons ago when he was going through a bit of a lean spell. There was all kinds of total crap written about him with oh is he is he more um bothered about off field stuff than than on field stuff and he's he's doing this off the field and you know he's only scored four goals. Is that is that the reason why? Should we sell him? It's like, no, you shouldn't sell him. Never sell one of your own players. He's from Withenshaw. Like it's so important to have local players at some somewhere in your squad. It doesn't even matter if they're if they're the best or the worst. Just keep them around. Um, I think especially at a club the size of 
Manchester United, yeah. where it is so easy to bring in the best talent from overseas. I do think it is important that you have those players like you say. I mean, Newcastle, your club, is a good example. As the club continues to grow and will become attractive to overseas players, it's important that you do keep a core of more local talent to kind of build that connection with the supporters. Obviously, Manchester United have done that in the last... 1,400 games or whatever it is where they fielded an academy graduate in the squad for that long but I do think it's an important thing that people sometimes forget about yeah and even like with with Man United being so big as well if you look through their academy a lot of them I'd probably say you know 75-80% of them aren't from Manchester they come from young academies abroad and, and around the country and stuff and for Rashford to be literally what eight miles, six miles from, from Old Trafford um, is is big. Same with Lingard, same with Danny Welbeck. You know, these players over the years, same with Wes Brown, who we've, we've had on the podcast, he talked about how how sort of fluent his area was in, in producing talent and stuff. And it's one of those where it, it gives you something different. You can't buy that. You Ultimately, you're buying somebody who doesn't fully get the club. He hasn't grown up supporting the club. Rashford has, and now he's probably the best player at the club to be fair like in terms of who's better than Rashford at Man United I'm, I'm not sure there, any, there is there is obviously there's good players there and there's a debate to be had but in terms of first names on the team sheet Rashford would be would be the first if I was manager so I think this contract um, secures him for his best years or what should be his best years um, and coming off the back of a 30 goal season you don't know where the limit is for him. Well, Rashford has signed a new deal, keeps him at Old Trafford until 2028. And talking about getting the best years out of someone, many people might feel that Johnny Evans' best years are behind him. It's been eight years since he left Manchester United in 2015. He obviously helped Leicester City achieve some great things in terms of winning the FA Cup and also finishing fifth twice in the Premier League during his spell there. But after their relegation at the end of last season, his contract expired and he's been training with Manchester United and he's impressed Eric Ten Hag so much, Joel, that he's decided to sign him on a short-term deal. It looks like he's going to play in a couple of pre-season games. What's your take on this? I think Johnny Evans' impact in training is what Dean Henderson thought he could have done in training because I remember last year when he did his interview saying, if Ten Hag saw me in training, he wouldn't let me go. Well... I mean, I think that's what he wanted to happen because obviously Johnny Evans done something crazy in in, uh, in front of his eyes. But yeah, I don't think it's anything major. I don't think he's going to be a, a long, a, like, I don't think he's going to sign a one-year contract. I think it's purely because obviously Malassi has gone out injured. There's a few injuries and there's a few loan deals happening. Um, but I mean, you just look at his longevity. When he left Man United, I think in 2012, it was a pretty poor, he tailed off slightly and it was a pretty poor season. Um, sorry, it wasn't 2012, it was a little bit later on than that. But then I know a lot of people say, oh, well, he should have stayed at United because he had really good seasons at Leicester. And I can see some sense in it considering the absolute dross that we bought, brought in following him. But I think that was, it's almost like the same as the Harry Maguire situation where he found a club which brought out, brought out his best strengths. And he could be the standout centre back with not as much pressure and not as much stand, uh, you know, limelight on your defensive ability constantly. But I mean, it just shows at thirty five, he could still probably get into a few Premier League teams very, very easily. I would say, um, and it just shows just how 
good of a player he really is, to be honest. So it'd be interesting to see. I know that he's joining up with the team in Edinburgh uh, who are playing today at 2pm. You you could potentially play, I don't know. Uh, And then when they get to the States, he's joining up with the academy squad in DC. Who knows whether the plans could change potentially, I don't know. But for the fact that he's turned Terran Hag's head in training, I think that's pretty testament to his quality, to be honest. Well, Johnny Evans signed a contract at Manchester United yesterday. It looks likely that Andre Onana, the goalkeeper that we've mentioned loads of times over the last few weeks, is going to follow suit. It's been a few weeks of talks, that's fair to say. But United and Inter have agreed over the last 24 hours a £47 million fee. It's about €55 million for Onana, who's going to be the replacement for David De Gea. He's played under Ten Hag before, Marley. He's actually retired from international duty after falling out with the manager, who I think is Rigobert Song, actually. You know, there's no chance of him going on international duty and picking up an injury. He's still under the age of 30. Do you think £47 million is a fair price? Probably, yeah. I think that's what um, that's what a goalie costs you these days, to be honest. If, you, if you're going and taking your pick of every goalie on the market, really... You know, forty-seven million is is what you would expect to be quoted, really. Um, especially one that's you know good with good with the ball at his feet. That's the that's the sexy thing. That's the trend now, isn't it? You know, they have to be good with the feet. I would. I've seen plenty of Anana making mistakes with his feet as well as I have his compilations of fantastic sort of sweeper keeping and stuff. It does come with mistakes. I was in a tweet the other day that said he's gonna he's gonna be a bit like Bartes, um, with with a bit of a screw loose when he comes out. Hey, if Bartes was playing in this era, he'd get so much more. He probably would because he was he was basically a centre mid. I always feel divided about Bartes. I never thought he was that good a goalkeeper. No, he was bad. He was a bad keeper. But in terms, he he was almost a centre mid who grew up in France and he said, "Sorry, we need a keeper today, Fabian. Can you fill in?" And then it's just kind of taken off from there. I think personally. Do you not think that that Man United team, though, back in the day, I know we're digressing here, but could have had any goalkeeper and still would have been successful? Yeah, potentially. I mean, when you look at the centre-backs we had in front of him, they were pretty phenomenal, weren't they? And then the midfield to match. I mean, every team got suffocated when they played that team. But I always remember the Di Canio one, you know, where <laughs> he tried to blag that it was offside and he just had his hand up and Di Canio just did not buy it whatsoever. These were the kind of shenanigans that he was bringing into the team. And now he's, a, I think he's like a, a race car driver yeah, or something. Le Mans and stuff, doesn't he? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the most backhanded compliment I think you can say to a footballer joining Manchester United is like oh he could be the next Fabian Bartes <laughs> at least it's not Massimo Taibbi <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, man you have had some shocking goalies over the years to be fair so he's going to do really well to get that low sort of thing and, and be and be that bad but um, yeah it's 50 million it, it's the going rate isn't it I mean it makes some, I mean, most goalies that are, that are sort of quality have, have been signed for big fees, uh, for fees that like, you, there's there's a lot of them where you look and you go, that's a bargain. Like you see, you see Nick Pope for 10 million quid, like that's that's a bargain. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring it. He was the first one I can think of. <laughs> I just knew it. Edison for like, how much was Edison? Like 30 million? He, he was a record at the time, Edison. Was he? I think I you, you're right, though, with keepers, when you look at their fees, they're almost the opposite to when you see the big player fees, you know, the outfield player fees. Apart from Kepa, who's an absolute anomaly. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Do you think the Kepa deal has kind of made anything under £60 million for a goalkeeper just be like, eh, okay, fair enough? 
I guess, but I feel like that's the way transfer fees have just gone in general, to be honest. I mean, you looked at Alisson when he went from Roma to Liverpool. That was, I think, around 55 million, 60 million. That was a, that was a heck of a fee. Um, but I think keepers are always going to have a threshold in terms of what you pay for them. Kepa was just... I really, I'd love to talk to the people who thought, let's sanction 70 million for him. Because if anyone saw him in Spain, he was, uh, let's just say, not ready to be a 70 million pound keeper just yet. Well, Onana looks like he's going to be the next name to pen terms at Old Trafford. Will they be able to get a striker in though before the start of the new Premier League season? The next target allegedly for Manchester United is the Danish striker Rasmus Hoyland who plays for Atalanta. United are still in dire need of a centre forward it's fair to say but they claim they won't overpay for the striker. That's according to reports. Do you think that's partly because they've already spent 100 million quid this summer on just two players Marley, Mason Mount and now Onana? But then again, centre-forward is the most vital position. So when they say they won't overpay, what do you think would be the right sort of value for someone who's young? And of course, all clubs will be looking at Manchester United knowing exactly what they need, which is a striker. It makes me laugh them saying we won't overpay after paying 80 million for Maguire, 80 million for Anthony, 60 million for Bruno Fernandes. They paid 50-odd million for Martial way back. God knows when. So it's interesting that they say, oh, we're going to change now. <laughs> we're not going to be ripped off. It's like you've been ripped off the last 20 years for every player you've ever bought. So, you know, you're uh, like we said, Rashford's the best player they've got and he, he cost them nothing. You know, they, they need to think about uh, think about that. But as Joel said before, the kid scored nine goals in his in his career. Like, And you're getting quoted, what, 60 million plus for him? The, the hype in football now is, is absolutely... Just insane. Just everyone's worth at least seventy million to the seven to the selling club. Like, and they're not. Then you know, such a small percentage of those players are gonna be on, are gonna go on to sort of prove that that was a bargain. And like Hoyland is, is promising, but he's he's raw. He's very raw, and he will be, and he'll have to come into the Premier League and and learn on the job and, you know, learn how to be a Premier League centre-forward. He's not like Haaland, who is just a freak of of, of sort of hype and, and substance to back it up. Hoyland's different. He's came from nowhere. There hasn't been much hype about him until this season. And then everyone's gone. Ironically, because of Haaland, it's kind of like, oh, here's another Scandinavian six-foot robot like six foot three robot and he scores loads of goals look at him like he's he's fantastic and he, he does look really good but 70 million to find out if he can be a premier league player and be a striker for the next 10 years is uh is staggering to be honest so but then again who's who's out there for for not that for nowhere near that price like you're not you're not really um you're struggling really i've just had like a little epiphany if you will just thinking about you I mean you just said it there like nonchalantly 70 million quid just think how expensive that is and I know like we talk about it within the microcosm of the game you know we're kind of speaking about it and rolling these figures off of our tongues like they're just nothing but when you think about actually how much money that is for one football player to join a different team it's absolutely staggering I mean we've spoken about money in the game before and it's another debate we could go into and it's a whole nother podcast but it is absolutely mental, isn't it, when you think about how much money transfer fees are nowadays and how much money there is moving from bank account to bank account in the games. Absolute madness. But he is the next target, allegedly, for Manchester United, and that rounds off our chat 
for the red section of today's Football Social Daily. We're going to move on to the blue section next because Chelsea are on the agenda. Welcome back. This is the award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. My name's Niall. I've got Joel and Marley alongside me, and we're going to talk about Chelsea now, as the Blues have seen their offer for Brighton midfielder Moises Caicedo rejected. The Blues had the bid of £70 million turned down. Uh, even though Caicedo asked to leave the Seagulls in January amid some interest from Arsenal, uh, Albion refused that, and as such, the Ecuadorian signed better terms at the Amex instead. So he's under contract at Brighton now until 2027. It leads me to wonder, Joel, whether we're going to see a similar situation to what we saw with Harry Kane a couple of years ago, where he had signed a lengthy new deal at Tottenham. Manchester City were interested, but effectively that new deal had held him ransom to his club, which was Tottenham at the time and still is, and fairly so. I, th- I just get a feeling we might see something similar here. Yeah, similar scenarios, but very different at the same time. Where Casado's only been in England for one year, everyone forgets his 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 he's been expedited in terms of his quality and his um, prestige and his status around football. And I think Arsenal really set the tone with how much teams value him back in January when they had that seventy million bid rejected for him. And obviously, Brighton have saw that bid and thought, well, considering he's continued to progress since then. Um, you're going to have to pay the right money. And also, it doesn't help the fact that Chelsea now have got this huge tag on their foreheads of we will ho- overpay for absolutely anyone and everyone. You look, just look at Enzo Fernandez. I know he is absolutely brilliant, by the way. But the reason why they paid $105 million was because he had a decent season with Benfica. Okay, fair enough. But the fact that he won the World Cup... And I know he was a good part of it, but let's not forget, without Lionel Messi, they would not have touched it. So the fact that they've paid that for basically a a year and a half's worth of football, Brighton are in the driving seat regardless of what happens to this. It doesn't matter if Casado tries to force his way out or not. They probably have given him assurances to say you can go, but the huge asterisk is that, one, you're contracted for another four years. You've just signed a new contract, by the way. And two, they've got to match whatever we want to take from Chelsea. And so Chelsea, they're almost, they've basically set their path for themselves, which is we're going to pay top whack, we're going to overpay and no club is going to buy into that and think, oh, let's just accept this bid because it's 70 million. Chelsea will eventually cave and I'm quite excited to see Enzo Fernandes and Casado as a pivot. I think it'll be really well balanced and it'll be a really effective midfield. But Chelsea have now got a pretty good amount of incoming from basically Saudi Arabia so they can afford to do it I think they're trying to it's almost like what Marley said with Manchester United where they've been they've got a habit so much of overpaying that Chelsea are almost trying to back wheel and trying to redevelop who they are as a club in terms of we're not going to overpay we're going to try and really negotiate and force it out but Brighton know that they have a price and they're going to have to match it I just wonder whether Chelsea need him like Joel said, it would be cool to see Caicedo and Fernandez as a pair in holding midfield, if you will, Marley. But they've already spent 100 plus million quid on Fernandez, who's young and unproven. And although Caicedo's had a really good spell with Brighton, and you could argue that he is now proven in the Premier League from what he showed, do, the, do Chelsea need him? And do they need to spend close to 100 million pound a game to get another central midfield player in? Let's get it straight. I think Caicedo will be a Chelsea player next next season. I can't see him carrying on at Brighton. I think the way 
Um, Brighton handle things. They're very open. When a player goes, like they said, they said about McAllister. Um, remember Deserby on the last day of the season, he said about McAllister, and he was like, "Yeah, he's he, he's going this summer," and then he just went, and so is Caicedo, <laughs> and he like just chucked it in as if to say, "Yeah, well." Rather than the narrative go for him, oh, is McAllister going? You know, and then is Caicedo going? Like they're both going, and McAllister went straight away. Uh, because Liverpool paid the fee that they wanted, um, and Caicedo, yeah, I mean, the the market has been warped, and and Brighton, that there's even been a few sort of uh, stories coming out of Brighton that they've said that if Enzo's worth 105 and Rice is worth 105, then Caicedo's worth very similar. Um, I can't agree with that personally. I I can't either. Um, but I mean, obviously he's very the, good. The logic no is kind of there. But, like, you know, Rice has done it for however many years in the Premier League now. So I can see where they're coming from, but yeah, maybe but that's, they're you know, They're just testing the water, chanting their arm. If somebody pays 80 million, then they're laughing. They've already got the replacements for them. You know, James Milner's already came in. Dahoud's already came in. Um, they found a couple of others as well with money they've built up previously from selling Ben White. And they want to sign Levi Colwell on a permanent if, if Chelsea allow him to go and... There's that sort of angle to this deal as well. Could they, could they, you know, wangle that in somehow and, and have a, some sort of swap? Um, but Fafana's injury probably uh, scuppers that a little bit, but maybe we'll talk about that in, in coming weeks or whatever. But yeah, I mean, Caicedo is he's a, he's a good player. I, I don't think he's worth the money that Brighton do. Um, and I think he's, he's, I think he's one of those players that will... Um, not live up to the hype. I think it. I think it'd be too much too soon for him if he goes for eighty million. He gets paid one hundred and fifty grand a week. I just think it'll he'll struggle to adapt a little bit to to Chelsea. Um, but coming off the back of what he's done so far, you know he's done more than Hoyland, for example, because he's done it in the league which he's being transferred to. So there's some sort of guarantee there that he can affect games in this league in the in the position where you want him and stuff like that. So. It's um it's an interesting one, but I, I fully expect Chelsea to be uh to be putting Caicedo on the uh, team sheet next season. Well, you mentioned Wesley Fofana. We're not going to talk about him in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about him right now because it was announced yesterday that he's going to spend some time to rehab an injury that he's picked up. He's got quite a nasty ACL injury uh, by the sounds of it. I mean, it's been a tough few years for Wesley Fofana on the injury front because he broke his leg this time a couple of years ago in a Leicester pre-season friendly then he forced a move to Chelsea for 70 million quid he missed a big chunk of last season with injury only played 15 games and now he's out long term again following surgery on an ACL problem he's still only 22 but do you think the last 18 months Joel might have damaged his potential how far he can go I think it's always really really nervy to see a player who's under 24 have a leg break and an ACL injury before he's coming into his almost peak years because sometimes they never regain that kind of form or that extra yard of pace that they used to have or you know the extra mobility on the pitch because even in his days in and he had a lot of knee problems during that time where he was missing 10 games here with a knee injury 10 games there with a knee injury and then it carried obviously the the fibula break at Leicester was a bit of a freak incident it happens where he missed the whole season but then when he get, went to Chelsea again new knee injuries missing 10 games another knee injury missing 55 days it, it seems to be a bit of a habit with him at the moment and I do worry for him and it's 
it's almost a encapsulation of what Chelsea are at the moment where you saw Chilwell have an incredible breakout season at Brighton, a player who they have on their books from their academy. And he probably is going to be a better player than Fafana is, to be honest. And then they've gone and spent a good 70 million on Fafana, who they've known has had pretty inconsistencies with his injuries to then go and have another injury. I do worry about how he's going to be as a player when he comes back. We've seen it with quite a few players with ACLs. Knee, knee problems are probably the worst you can get for a player who relies, relies on his explosive speed and his agility. We saw it with the greatest strikers. We've seen it with great midfielders. Um, Zaniolo is a great example. The guy from um, Roma, he had two ACL injuries back to back. And now he's at Galatasaray. And he looked to be the next gem of... Italian football so it's so unfortunate to be honest I really do hope that he can almost mask it because again he's not really an attacker who relies on quick movements and agility but the fact that he's the age he is with these injury problems on his on his record isn't isn't encouraging but I really do hope he can recover quickly because it is it's nasty injuries that well, obviously, he's still young, and so too is Callum Hudson-Odoi. And a couple of days ago, Chelsea rejected a bid from Fulham for Callum Hudson-Odoi's services. Uh, Hudson-Odoi's been on loan in Germany, but he had a pretty poor loan spell at Bayer Leverkusen. Hasn't really played much or played well for the last couple of seasons. He says he wants to leave Chelsea to get some regular first-team football, but Pochettino, understandably, Marley, can't guarantee that. What do you think someone like Hudson-Odoi's best option is in the modern market and what do you think he's worth to Chelsea who have as I said rejected a bid from Fulham I, I just think he needs a fresh start and it sounds like he knows that as well now um, he needs a fresh start a manager that rates him a manager that's going to manage him and where he's not just going to be another sheep in the pack type of thing with with how he is at Chelsea I, I almost feel sorry for Pochettino because I think Pochettino could get a tune out of him but because Pochettino's got so many options up front you know he, he's kind of like his, his hands are tied a little bit. He's he's got, you know, a hundred million pound Mudrick to to settle into the team. He's got um, Muddy Muddy um on the other side who who did well last season. He's got Raheem Sterling to revive. Uh, and there's there's you know there's loads of options. And then and Kunku's coming in. And then there's they need a striker. And it's like Jesus Hudson Odoi's seventh seventh choice attacker at best here. So it it feels like a time where he's he's realised he needs to go. Um, Fulham, I think Fulham would be a good move for him, but it just depends on on who stumps up the money. I don't know what sort of fee they're looking for to 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 uh, receive for him, but is is one of them where I think what if you if you can get him for ten million, fifteen million, I think it's I think it's great business. Right then, that's it for the blue section. We've done the red section. Next up is the red, white, and blue section because I'm going to test Marley and Joel on their. MLS knowledge after Lionel Messi has signed for Inter Miami. We'll do it after this. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall and joining me today, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. And I want to test your knowledge with our weekly quiz, your head-to-head on this one today, boys, as it was revealed earlier this week that Lionel Messi has joined David Beckham's MLS franchise into Miami. So off the back of that, I wanted to test your knowledge 
of Major League Soccer. So we've got a lot of listeners to this show in North America, so don't be letting them down, all right? Can I just can I just mention as well, has anybody seen the highlights from yesterday's All-Star MLS games with Arsenal where they had to do like a heads and volleys challenge and Kai Havertz missed all 20? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's the first player in the history to miss all 20, my God. <laughs> An unwanted record there for Kai Havertz. It's not gone well for him, has it really, since he came to England? Although he did win a Champions League, can't really... Uh, uh, can't really argue with that. Didn't he score the winning goal in their Champions yeah, League final? <laughs> so, okay, I can't say too much then. Yeah, technically um, he did that on uh, foreign soil though. So, you know, <laughs> everything else has turned to, to brown stuff since. I mean, he might have won the Champions League, but he didn't get any in the heads and volleys challenge in the MLS. So, I mean, I mean what come on, more, who, really? who knows what the real prize is here? Uh, and talking of prizes, you guys are going to go against each other. This is how it's going to work. There are 29 Major League Soccer clubs across the Eastern and Western Conferences. I want you to take it in turns to name as many of them as you can. So, for example, if Joel said into Miami, it would then pass over to you, Marley, and you would have to name a team and it will go back and forth until one of you makes a mistake. So if you can't think of a team or you name a wrong team, you lose and your opponent is the winner. So is everything clear so far? Yeah, I'm just trying to dig into the depths of my brain to think of the... I can think of the state, but the <laughs> other random part in the name... I'm, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Well, well no Googling, no uh, Googling, are, all right? My hands are here. You'll only be cheating yourself if you do that. So to decide who goes first, because I think there is an advantage in going first in this, I think anyway, I'm going to do a fastest finger first question. There's no limit on the number of guesses here, so just shout out the answer, and the first to get the question correct will then choose if they want to go first or they want to go second. SWM? SWM. Vale. So here's the question. What year was the first Major League Soccer season? 1993. 99? 90, 95. 2000, in the 2000s. 96. Yes, Marley, well yes. done. <laughs> He's the, got it. The trick is, Joel, to pick a year and just go one up from it every time. <laughs> You'll get there in the end. <laughs> the league was inaugurated in 93, but the first season wasn't until 1996. So actually, you would have been bang on with your first question if it was when was... MLS started with your first answer, sorry, but in, in the end, the answer is 96. So, Marley, you get the choice. You're going to go first or second? I'll go first. All right, here we go then. Marley, you're going first. We've already named into Miami, oh. so I'll take that one out. So, there are 28 further teams that you can name between you. So, remember, it's back and forth. First to make a mistake loses the challenge, and I'm looking for active MLS teams. So Tampa Bay Rowdies and Shivas USA and the Cosmos, they're all not going to count, okay? Oh, there goes my three that I had banked. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go. Marley, over to you. What's your first one? DC United. Chicago Fire. Um, Philadelphia Union. <laughs> uh, Seattle Sounders. Uh, FC Toronto. LAFC LA Galaxy uh, New York City <laughs> I, th I thought there was the All end right. of a name but yeah it's New York City um, Orlando City um, oh gosh hold on LA Galaxy it's oh, already said been it. said. It's oh. already been said. He hasn't been paying attention. LA Galaxy was already said by Marley. Well done, Marley. That was nice and right. simple. You win. That was easy, yeah. Joel, Joel loses. <laughs> I had I had a few more. Go on then. Reel them off. 
Uh, Columbus Crew. Yeah, good one. Uh, Minnesota United. I think they're Yeah, new. good. Good. Um, oh. But uh, when you said you had a few, you've named two and run out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. Um, <laughs> no, the, uh, there's a... Oh, I forgot now. Head's gone oh, there's a f- There's a few. So Atlanta United, Charlotte FC, Montreal, Nashville, New England Revolution, who Jesse Marsh used to play for. Montreal was who I was thinking of. It was another yeah. Canadian team, yeah. Vancouver Whitecaps. Oh, yeah. Uh, San Jose Earthquakes, Real Salt Lake, the Portland Timbers. I think, did uh, Jermaine Defoe used to play for Toronto or was it Vancouver? I can't remember. Toronto, I think, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, your MLS knowledge isn't isn't great. But it isn't too bad. Um, I feel like Joel's let himself down more than you there, Marley. <laughs> You're willing to carry on. Yeah. Uh, but well done. You're the winner of the quiz. So just before we do close out today's show, what are your thoughts on Messi's arrival at David Beckham's franchise, Internacional Club de Football Miami? <laughs> I I don't think it's made as as many headlines as as it would as it should really. I've, I've I haven't missed it. I've seen it, but I've not seen it everywhere. Like this, this, this sort of Saudi assault on 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 football is uh, is taking the main headlines type of thing. You know, this guy's going and this guy's going, and the Ronaldo says, "Oh, you know, Saudi's better than America and stuff like that." And it's like, come on, like of course you'd say that. Uh, number one, you went there. Number two. There are legal reasons why you don't like the, uh, <laughs> why you don't like America. So, it's um, yeah, I, I just I think it's been glossed over a little bit. But he's making his debut on Friday, and I'm sure if you look onto the, uh, onto Twitter and, and social media on Saturday and Sunday, that that'll be pretty much all you see when Messi's yeah. ripping some part timers. Well, it could be the most watched football match ever to take place in America. I mean, I know there was a World Cup final there, so we'll take that out of the equation. Just need Diana Ross dribbling a, dribbling a football through and uh, trying to score a goal into an empty net. Yeah, I wish we could have the old MLS penalty shootouts back. Can you imagine Messi like doing a one-on-one with the goalkeeper? It'd just be game over, wouldn't it, for every goalkeeper in the league? Kai Havertz would still miss them all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll keep an eye on Messi, of course, as he is a, an icon, a global phenomenon. Um, I think it's really healthy for Major League Soccer to have a player of that calibre in the league and hopefully it draws more interest to domestic soccer in the United States because I know a lot of you that listen from North America are obviously huge Premier League fans, otherwise you wouldn't listen to this podcast and there is probably quite a gap to bridge. Um, But the standard, as we've heard from the likes of Steven Gerrard and David Beckham and Frank Lampard who have all played over there is actually a lot better than people think. Uh, and maybe this will draw more eyes to it. Uh, but we are a Premier League podcast, as I say, and that is us done now until next week. So we'll be back on Monday with a brand new episode for you. Hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy it, whatever you're up to. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.